When the choice seems to be to tear down the church or build a wall around it, we aim to walk the narrow road of nuance through the wilderness between the warring factions and try to figure out what it means to love God and people well. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 31 of Unbetween. 31 episodes. How about that? In this episode, we are having a conversation about allegiance and identity and how we make sense of who gets our best and other stuff kind of like that. Ryan, you have anything to add? Too much. But yeah, simply stated, it's kind of this discussion of where we identify and what that shapes our life to be. I feel like that's pretty simply stated. I think that's also pretty simple. So let's get to the conversation, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. You ever listen to The Table? It's Dallas Theological. Oh, okay. Um, they talk a lot about culture and kind of the line where Christianity and culture meet. But while I was running this morning, I was like, you know what? I'm going to listen to something. And I looked at what they had that had come up. And on March 7th, they released one called Christianity, Politics, and the Public Space. What is... It's scrolling, so I'm trying to get the whole thing... What is the connection? Question mark. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I know that's something we want to talk about at some point, but it, it was funny. Um, apparently this guy's written this book and they were interviewing him. And the whole deal was like kind of about the connection and how, you know, yes, Jesus did make political statements, but it wasn't partisan statements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've I mean, he came people. and said, I'm the king of kings. Like, that's pretty political. Right. <laughs> like, um, but it wasn't a partisan thing, kind of playing people off of each other. But then at the end, you know, he talks about, you know, yes, I wrote this whole book from the perspective of the New Testament, but there's apparently a reference to Jeremiah in the book at the end where he's saying, like, hey, before you go out and try to change Babylon, maybe the first change needs to be yourself. Right. Um, so I don't know. I thought it was interesting just because we talked about doing something along the lines of Christian nationalism. They referenced that a time or two in it. It's a whole can of worms, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know if that's something we want to try and touch on today by any means. But Let, Well, let's, let's pre-roll it. How about that? We definitely want to give that subject or those subjects their proper time. And I think we both want to think through them a little bit more before we jump in whole hog, mm-hmm. as it were. But uh, I think that... That phrase sums it up well, political without being partisan. And yeah. I, I don't think that that approach is reflected in much of our current political dialogue mm-hmm. or interpersonal dialogue or relational dialogue. It's very much, and we, we talk about this a lot, the the tribes thing and the loyalty to your kind of thought movements or what have you and the, the need to uh, kind of validate by means of an external identity and make that your why and make that your purpose and make that the determining factor in your sense making and your truth telling and and everything like that. And um, a lot of people particularly like to co-opt Jesus. I think we all do it for our own selfish purposes, but particularly when it comes to politics, he we have this thing that we do that we, we really like to zoom in on the things that he says that we like that fit the narrative that we're trying to push. And that fall in line with whatever is important to whatever partisan thought structure that we give our loyalty to. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Jesus is an incredibly inconvenient. <laughs> uh, how do I put this? Jesus does not allow, he doesn't participate in that, both right. in terms of the, his words that are recorded in the past and the way that his spirit moves today is that he just, he will not let us treat him like that. And so when we do, it just doesn't stand up. It doesn't stand scrutiny when you really chase those rabbits down into their burrows. He he does not let us do that. And yet we yeah. still continue to try to. We do. Uh, we don't, we know better, but we just can't help ourselves. Um, I don't think we do know better, but can well, continue. Don't we though? I mean, uh, if it, hmm, man. <laughs> I'm going to already sound harsh and this is to me I, I hope people who listen to this know like a lot of the stuff we talk about are our struggles yes, or mine I, so. I, won't, I won't speak for Taylor completely but um, but it's things that we wrestle with and it's not like hey look at all you people but I, my comment that I want to make and please receive so knowing and trying to be graceful in it because I too struggle but we should know some of those things if we were in the word and in tune with 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 our Lord the way we're supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I say we know better. I mean, or should know better is is probably a better way to put it. But I just don't think we do those things. I don't think we make those habits. And you know, to to your point a second ago, it's funny. I was I was in bed last night, and Hannah um, was like, "Hey, by the way, I I wanted to read something to you. I came across today because it sounds like something you would at least appreciate." And it's in her kind of Bible study book from, from Bible study fellowship, but it, it says God has higher and holier goals than our perceived comfort. Mm, yeah. And I think that's what it boils down to. Like, and, and it was, it was one of those things like, yeah, I like the way that's said because um, it is inconvenient. You almost used that word earlier and then you're like, how do I want to put this? But I, I think it is inconvenient because you can't do what you want if you're trying to follow God's purposes. Yeah. And he, and he just, he's, he's so not a team player. He won't hate who and what you want him to hate, and he won't sign off on what you want him to sign off on. Yeah. I mean, there's even that whole, like, turn the other cheek bit, right? Like, that's not our way of thinking. No. Um, I say Boy, do we like to ignore that. It's Ooh. not the way to say it, but yeah. I mean, um, it, it's not, not at all how I have grown up or how I still function. It's kind of back to our conversation last week it's the whole well you know they're going to get there so i'm going to get mine thing in some ways mm -hmm. um and that's that's not what we're taught when we look at things like the beatitudes or i think i referenced that script passage in, in philippians last week that like that's the opposite of those things that we're supposed to pursue i have an interesting example of this uh when i was a Is kid it what did i do <laughs> Ryan, when I was a kid, we somehow came by this um, this kind of audio drama series. I think it was produced by Focus on the Family. Could be totally wrong, but it was about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and mm. it was kind of a dramatization of his life. So they hired actors to play the parts of him and his family, and laid out kind of a lot of the major points of his life and the development of his faith and all that. It was really well done. Yeah, and um. There is a scene when he is a kid in a confirmation class in a Lutheran church in Germany back in, I guess, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what year he was born. This would have been uh, first, like, early 1900s, I guess. And um, 
they were going through the Beatitudes and he he asked his his teacher, so what does it mean when Jesus says here, like, turn the other cheek and don't resist an evil person and all this kind of stuff? And his teachers take on it was like, well, Jesus is talking about an idea, an attitude of an attitude of love that we hope to achieve one day when the world is united with Germany in unity. Mm. And but the and that's a good illustration of what we're talking about. Is like, yeah. yeah, that sounds great, but practically, he means one day when every when he comes in and cleans house and gets rid of all the people that we don't like. That's what he that's what he means. But mm. in this dramatization, Dietrich, I don't again, I don't know how much of this is what was actually said, but um, he pushes the question further, and he and he says, well, what does it mean when it says to love those who hate you and pray for those who persecute you? And at that point. The, the conversation took a turn and it was kind of like, are you questioning authority or whatever? Yeah. And, and it's like, well, I, we, we have, I think we have to own when we do stuff like that, when we want to explain the words of Jesus away for matters, for reasons of convenience, because it is certainly inconvenient to consider loving your enemies. It's even more inconvenient to actually do it when it might cost you something. Yeah. Well, and I think we do that in a lot of areas. I mean, even looking at our sin, you know, I, I've been very convicted lately just about um, the result of pursuing Christ should produce, you know, not that I'm not going to make mistakes and, and sin, but I should look way more sinless than I do if mm-hmm. I'm truly pursuing Christ the way I'm supposed to. And and I, I was talking with some friends the other day, and I accidentally worded it first as pursuing sinlessness. I don't mean like in a legalistic way to be that way, but I think if we're pursuing Christ, we're going to look much more like that, you know? Yeah, it's sanctification. Yeah, not not that, but I think it's very often it's easy to say, well, you know, one day we'll be holy and we won't sin anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. But let's not use that as an excuse to do whatever you want today. Like, uh, dude, it, I, because... <laughs> yeah, I remember a moment from a Bible class I had in high school and this is not to put this other student on blast, but we were we were having a back and forth in the class about the nature of sin and the expectations around it. And so the person was like, well, you, you can't go 24 hours without sinning. And kind of the response in the room was like, oh, really? Well, you can't go 24 years without sinning. Oh, really? If, if, if we don't really believe that Christ did and can continue to in the, in the present— set us free from the law of sin and death, then what are we doing? You know, yeah. why does it even matter to try? Well, just do as good a job as you can. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, like yeah. that's not victory. That's not an abundant life. That's just, if I'm doing my best, we're, we're going to have a problem because my best is not right. that great. That's you know? not what it's about, is it? No. It's allowing God to have that power in your life. And, and that's what makes it, you know, something that shouldn't be as hard to think about. And, and I, I told, you know, the people I was talking to, like, it's tough for me because I think I've come from a, a perspective of like trying to fight anything that appears legalistic yeah, and doing so in a way that it's like, well, it's legalistic to think I can, can accomplish that. Well, no, I mean, there, there's all this language we've used in the past, even like terms that are right, like saying salvation's a free gift. That's, that's accurate, mm-hmm. but it costs a heck of a lot. Yeah. Um, not just to Christ, but it should cost us on the back end with the life we choose to live, you know? And, and so sure. it's just all these phrases that we use flippantly. Um, again, not that they're wrong, but let's, let's figure out what they really mean, you mm-hmm. know? Does being, you know, like Christ, 
does that mean that I don't ever struggle? You know, um, well, and what are we calling the so. struggle? Right. And, and so where's the temptation? We're still going to have temptations. Now, what do you do with that? Yeah. Do you just say, oops, God's grace covers it? Or you just say, hey, I am going to completely lean into Christ and who he is to try to overcome this. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. This may seem like a kind of a rabbit trail from what we were talking about, but we're, this is the stuff that undergirds the whole political or tribes discussion mm-hmm. is, I think, putting our trust in other things other than who we are in Christ and in who he is and how he wants us to relate to him. Yeah. And, and it's easy to do, but we're, we're not here to have a free ride. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it, it's kind of about the discomfort and what we're doing with that and how we're using that to show to show who Christ is. We have talked, um, it came up in kind of the last couple of conversations we had that the kind of, uh, the, the status quo expectations or definitions of what a Christian life may or may not be. There's like, there's a certain percentage of it that's rooted in scripture, but then there's also a certain percentage of it that's seems to be coming from other places. And that if we're not vigilant to that, it can really easily infect our own worldview and we can end off end up off down a tributary somewhere. And I think mm-hmm. that is especially shown in matters of convenience that touch us directly, which in turn affects the way that we perceive what it means to be a good citizen, what it means to be um, politically involved, all that kind of stuff. And I do think it's a tail wagging the dog and a cart before the horse, cart before the horse kind of thing when we... Um, we focus on those things first and then try and tack God's tacit approval to our activities on after the fact. Yeah, and and I wonder if we just do that to try and justify what we want. I think so. Um, works, works out better for us that way, doesn't it? We think it does. I, I think a lot of it comes down from the fact that we, we want to be the ones planning our whole life. Yeah. We want to be the ones who are driving it. When we succeed, we want it to be because we worked hard to succeed. Mm-hmm. We don't want it to be because God used our mess of a life to make something that glorifies him happen. Yeah. Um, and, and you see, that, that's not new. That's not a new problem. That's all through uh, scripture. I, I was listening to a, a podcast that Hannah sent me the other day about parenting. And it was funny. The guy who was talking made the comment like, these aren't new problems. Like, you know, Socrates wrote about these or something like just something. In fact, it's something <laughs> yeah. that we've, we've dealt with forever. I mean, in the Bible, you see that there's things that happen that God clearly made happen this way, you know, are, are shaped and lined up everything to happen this way. And then you've got people saying, well, Hey, look what I did. You know, mm-hmm. that's just that if, if we are truly compassionate and understand our purpose of making God known, you don't, you don't say things like that. Well, yeah. And conversely, you have people, Lining up, off doing their own thing and being like, look what God did. Mm. Look what look what God called me to do. Look what God is blessing. Mm. All that kind of stuff. That's the other side of it. Yeah. So tra- there, there's one side of trying to take credit for something God did, and then the other of, like, you've made this thing. I don't even know if thing is the word. You, you've done something, and you're trying to justify it by saying it was God. Yeah, um, exactly. It's an awfully convenient way of approaching the world because it doesn't come close to you and your stuff. You get carte blanche to do 
what it is that you want to do to hate who you want to hate, to love what you want to love, whatever. And, and God's on your side, it, which means that he's not on those other people's side, which gives you freedom to write them off. And, and that's easier, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I know early on we talked about that. It's been very easy for me to try and, and kind of take these shortcuts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for me to sit and talk to, to someone like you because we, we get along. We um, have conversations fairly naturally. Mm-hmm. But those moments where you find someone who's like, man, this person's just tough to be around. Like, you don't go out of your way to try and, and keep that environment around you. Yeah. You say, you know what? It's not going to work out. We never <laughs> get that close anyway. We don't and, gel. And, and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no vibe there. Isn't that what the kids are saying now? It's, it's a vibe. Um, well, well, and that's not to say that, that's not to say there's never room to say like, uh, there are like concentric circles of influence around you and your stuff. And I do think it takes wisdom to know how far in that you want to let somebody, but that's oh, different. Absolutely. That, yeah. That's a different prospect than if we're honest with ourselves. this person's annoying or this, I don't like this person <laughs> or, yeah. or I think this is the little more sinister thing. I don't want to deal with this person's stuff. Or they can't do anything for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think those last two, if we're honest, are probably what happens more often. Mm-hmm. Is that just like, I just don't want to invest because it's hard. It's inconvenient. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. It takes up the time I would be using to do what I want to do. And, and think of this too. If that's how we are in our interpersonal relationships, we will project those same ways of doing things onto our our civic relationships, for lack of a better way to put it. Those same expectations that on the individual level that we are living out in that way, you group very many of those people together and that becomes the expectations of the group. And if the group gets big enough and powerful enough, that then becomes the expectations of the city, the county, the state, the region, the country, the culture. And I think- that civic or religious group. Yeah, exactly. I'm just talking about groups groups of people. In general. Yeah, People group around similarities of ideas or similarities yeah. of, or just similarities, really. And if they're the wrong kinds of similarities, that is going to be the unifying factor in that group, which means that if you challenge one of those deeply held truths for that group, then you that's where the conflict comes from. And for followers of Jesus, I think part of the problem is that, and this is in America anyway, because that's where we live and that's where our experience is. Uh, From what I kind of gather, it's not necessarily true other places in the world. But if what is unifying a particular group of Christians is something other than Christ, that's a problem. If it's, Mm. and I don't know how much of a way there even is around this, but if it's the kind of music you like, if it's this point of theology, if it's this political persuasion, if it's this political doctrine, whatever, it's still, and we've talked about this before, but it's still unifying around something other than Christ. And when anything other than Christ crucified is a deal breaker for us, I think that's a sign that we need to slow down, like slow way down. Well, and and I think, and maybe I mentioned a lot of this when I when I referenced that Philippians passage um, in another episode, but I think it was a big kind of a clarifying thing for me recently, kind of reading that, understanding that I have tried to pursue uh, like-mindedness among fellow mm-hmm. believers, 
in, in a big way, be it in um, church circles, friend circles, whatever. And that's not even what I'm, I'm called to do. Like, it's helpful, yes, mm-hmm. because you can enjoy your time around each other. But to that point, you know, in Philippians, it mentions being minded like Christ, you know. And so we had talked about kind of that distinction between like-minded with the people around you and minded like Christ and letting that be the thing mm-hmm. um, that, that pulls you together. And that's, that generates a very different kind of community. Yeah. Which we've talked about before as well. So we don't have to go into that. Listen to other episodes if you mm-hmm. don't know what we're talking about. But um, but I think the political sphere, it's, it's tough because there are liens based on values and beliefs that you hold religiously, biblically, as followers of Christ. Yeah. Let's figure out how I want to word this here because there's so many things you can say that it's like, uh, man, that could mean a... <laughs> a whole lot of things, right? Yeah, it's a sentence full um, of landmines. Yeah, and, and we take those and we just try to figure out where we should lean based on those. And, and I, I'm not saying I don't understand that to an extent, but, you know, they, what, what did they mention? In a podcast I listened to, they referenced kind of the social gospel versus the genuine gospel. And you mm-hmm. kind of see those things split. Um, and, and it wasn't genuine social and something else, but, uh, we, we've divided it to kind of be two different things when the actual gospel is somewhere between those, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we've just got people co-opting it to try and pull each other to different areas and, yeah, you know, meet their different worldly concerns or cares or not, not that some of those worldly concerns or cares do not have a spiritual realm as well, but, um, that's not what they're co-opted for. I guess. Well, I mean, so much of it's just wrapped up in identity. Um, I feel like personally, like, yeah. I think when we choose to identify too much with things other than, you know, being a follower of Christ, it, it gets murky. Um, because if we're identifying so much with those other things, there's no way someone's going to see Christ when they look at us. Oh, shoot. You know, I even think about myself, like when someone looks at me, is that the first thing they're thinking? <laughs> you know, um, it's that thing of like, uh, I, I have heard that when um, North Americans, people from the United States go to other countries that we stick out like sore thumbs because yeah. of the way that we carry ourselves. And so you imagine like the dude, <laughs> this, I, I probably shouldn't get the specific, but like the dude in the khaki shorts with the camera hanging around his neck. Cargo, cargo shorts. Yeah. Wandering around yeah. the, uh, wandering around the Vatican. <laughs> That's the image. That's probably not fair, but but think of it in spiritual terms. Do what is it that sticks out to people about us? What uh, what allegiances do we wear on our sleeves that we're not aware of that people instantly pick up on? Whether that's the way that we walk into a room, the way that we speak, what we're wearing, you know what we're driving. I don't know. I'm taking this too far into rhetorical artifacts, but point being that there is a way that followers of Jesus should carry ourselves. And then there's a whole bunch of other ways that are like 60, 70% of that. But it's that like a little yeast leavens the whole lump as, as the scripture says. And Mm. I wonder, are people seeing, seeing the yeast as it were, or are they seeing us? Are they seeing the bread of life for yeah. To, to carry that analogy out. I think I know the answer, <laughs> you know, I'd hate to say, at least for myself, you know, uh, 
So I'll ask a dumb question then. What's the solution to this problem? I know a simple answer. Oh, come on. This can't cost possibly be simple. We got to write our book about it. But it's hard. Like, it's hard for us to do. I mean, just because of everything we have ramped into this. I mean, the simple thing is to is to do what it takes to be in tune with with our Lord. Hmm. You know, to, to, to focus your life around that in a way that the rhythms that we talk a lot about, the patterns are such that you are constantly reminded who he is, what he's done, who you are, what that means. And, and I think the more and more we have that right view, that, that's how, where we identify. Not that we don't mess up. I mean, you look at, um, at Peter, like the, the moment he took his eyes off of, of Jesus, like what happens? Yeah. But I think that's the solution. It seems easy to say, well, just, you know, look to Christ in all things you do and pattern your whole life around that and um, worship him with your life. Like, you know, in Romans, it talks about that. Like this is a true act of worship, you know, to offer yourselves mm-hmm. a living sacrifice. And, and we say that, but we make it mean, we make that sacrifice something we're comfortable, back to that other quote mm. from that Hannah shared with me, we make it something comfortable to sacrifice. Yeah. Which, which really isn't much of a sacrifice at all. It's, it's the whole, um, so the, the Cain and Abel story is interesting to me because it's one that we're, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard a lot. And that the way I've mostly heard it taught is that you know, these two brothers, they both bring sacrifices to God. One brings a firstborn lamb and the other brings some fruits of his harvest. And mostly I've heard it taught that like, basically that God wanted blood and that's why, or, or, or that blood is what covers sin. So that's why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain wasn't. I actually don't think that that is what that means because there's a key phrase that Abel brought basically the very first of his flock, the firstborn. Mm-hmm. As soon as he had something to give, he ran and gave it to God. Whereas if Cain, it said, in the course of time, he brought some of his harvest to God. And so I don't think it has anything to do with God preferring meat over veggies or, or something like that. But, <laughs> but don't I think we it, all? I mean, yeah, you know. Well, can, can, I, can we have both? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Can it be broccoli and barbecue? Yeah. <laughs> But the the point being that Abel gave God out of, he gave him the thing that hurt him the most to give, that cost him the most to give. Mm. And he couldn't wait to give back to God out of what he'd been given. And Cain brought what was convenient for him to give. He brought after he had eaten and after he had filled his barn or whatever, and then whatever was left over, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll bring some. And not all of it. He just brought some of it. So... I think that's a good illustration of what you're talking about is like, we'll give until it hurts just enough that we can be okay with it. If even that. Yeah. Or just what we feel is expected. You know, I talked to you the other day about that. You'd mentioned Gable Price and friends a few times on the podcast and I'd listened a little bit and then you sent me a song, what a month ago. Yeah. Um, that a, uh, a writer and musician I really like had, had helped write and I listened to it and I ended up going down this rabbit trail of listening to like all the stuff within, you know, a day or two. Um, and it's awesome. I, I highly recommend any of you going out and, and listening to Gable Price and Friends, but there was Same. one called Same. Uh, 10%. Ooh, yeah. And and the song's just kind of about that. Like, you know, hey, you, let's give God what's left over, you mm-hmm. know? 
ten percent um, of my heart. Ten percent of my heart is what they say, and it's like, golly, you know that that's not what God asks for. You know, yes, there is reference to tithing and the ten percent in Scripture. That's, but He asks for our whole life. Um, yeah. Not not a little sliver that we cut off the side and hand them before we're done eating. Well, and what's easy to forget too is that the ten percent was under the old covenant, and the ten percent was mm. in a web of rhythmic generosity. Yeah. And the ten percent was there to make sure that the priest had something to live on. Don't complicate so. things, Taylor. Don't. <laughs> no, you're well, exactly right. But point, what, what I mean, those things we don't talk about, right? Well, point, point being, in the New Testament, Paul flips it. In, and mm-hmm. Jesus flips it. He said, you're given 10% of your spices, but you've neglected those who need things in your community and your hearts are like whitewashed tombs and all this stuff. And then Paul says, each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Yeah. You know, and it's less about following a rule or giving the token. And th- this actually relates pretty, pretty closely to what we're talking about. It's not just what's expected. It's not just what's required. It is out of the... It, it, it's Abel versus Cain. It's out mm-hmm. of the it's out of the abundance. It's the abundance that hurts, that cuts, and that that is that is our spiritual act of worship to present ourselves and all that we have as a sacrifice. Now, then, the great thing about God is pretty often He turns around and gives it right back, or a lot of it anyway, or He says, "Thank you. Here's something even better." And I don't yeah. mean that God is going to hand you a bigger house. Maybe He will. I don't freaking know. But more that. He is a good father who stewards his children and prepares in advance good things for us to do and to be a part of. And I've never been more sure of that than at this point in my life. And I can look in every direction at my relationships and other things that are happening, and I can see God's provision there. That's not Mm. always true for us. It's not always true for everybody. Um, There are, as as I've heard other people call them, there are dark nights of the soul where you wonder where where is God? Where are yeah. the good things that are supposed to be there? And and th- that is all true, but his his character, that's, that's who he is, man. Um, yeah. Which means that what is required of us, kind of like where we started this conversation, what's required of us is to live inside of that and to not let these other things cloud our vision and to not let these other things become our identity and become the rock that we build things on. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said about rules. I mean, it, it, that's that, that's the beauty of God's grace. It's not that you have to do those things to get that. It's that he did, so let's mm-hmm. live accordingly, you know? Yeah. Live a life that that um, is a, a temple to, to the living God. Um, Ooh, that's good. I like that. So, as you could probably tell, this conversation we just had kind of has links to a lot of larger stuff that we want to get into later, but we don't quite feel ready for that, honestly. We want to approach some of those subjects with care and hopefully with wisdom and preparation at the very least, so more on that as it develops. In the meantime, Ryan, why don't you tell the good people where they can find us on the internet? I will sure try. You can find us at Facebook and on Instagram at Unbetween Podcast, and on Twitter, we are Unbetween Pod. Also email us, as we've mentioned before, we love your feedback, uh, so you can reach out to us at unbetweenpodcast at gmail.com. Those are all correct. They are. I did it. Yes. Uh, Also, uh, it does help us if you will rate, leave a comment, all those things on whatever service you're listening to, and and share with someone. You know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this, or your mom, or your dad, or your dog, whatever, just share it. Oh, man, listen to these two idiots. That's, that's, Yeah. That's probably more likely. <laughs> but feel free to share because we want this conversation to be bigger than us. We want people to uh, start leaning into these things and to pursuing who we are supposed to be 
where we're supposed to identify as opposed to all the other things that we mess up. I concur. That's, that's all I got. That's all you need.